Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt. I am an organizational development and belonging strategist. And usually we have your other co-host, Rob Hadley, join us, but he's out of the office this week. He's off enjoying some Portugal fun in the sun. Um, but we do have a very special episode for you today. I am very excited to welcome um, our guest co-host for today, Nadia Alam. Um, Nadia is the head of equity, diversity, and inclusion at Dark Horse Talent. Nadia, welcome to your first guest co-host episode of Inclusive Collective. I am so thrilled to yes. be here. We've got two Nadias here, Na so it's double the trouble, double the Nadia fun. Nadia squared, right? I love it. It's like that episode yeah. of uh, two Nadias. I, I, I love that. So, Nadia, aside from the fact that we, you know, may confuse our listeners because we do have the same name, I wanted to also just share with um, our listeners that we've known each other for quite a long time um, and our paths, you know, throughout, I think, our childhood kind of, you know, in, I guess, what's the word, intersected, is that the right word? Um, and then there was like a brief, you know, we just did it, we're doing our own things and then this past year, we kind of reconnected because of the type of work that we do. And then also, um, our parents have known each other for 40 plus years. And, you know, they're community friends. They're um, part of kind of the small Pakistani community that went to Quincy Mosque, uh, the first mosque in New England. And recently, our dads have become besties. Um and so I just wanted to share that with our li listeners to give them a little bit of an understanding of like who we are. Yes, it is. It's it's wild. It's been an interesting journey, I think, for um, our parents just knowing each other so long. And, um, you know, I often wonder when our dads get together, like, oh, my God, talking <laughs> about there. There are these two. You know, old dudes. And I mean, my guess is maybe a little bit of philosophy, a little yeah. bit of religion, a little bit of politics. Oh, totally. Books. Uh, do they, they talk about us? Um, well, I do because <laughs> like it's so funny because I knew you were coming home um, back to Boston like last month. And I didn't mention that to my parents because I wasn't sure like how much you may share with your family that you're coming home. I knew you were here for work. 
And randomly, my dad was like, oh, you know, Nadia Alam is home this week. And I was like, okay. (laughs) When dad has like the scoop of who's home, who's visiting. But no, I think they talk, definitely talk about us. I think they love to talk about books and um, definitely philosophy and religion and definitely politics. Um, But they're definitely besties. Like I was home uh, a couple of weeks ago and my dad was on the phone with your dad and I was just laughing. Like they're just chatting away. Like Gavin on the phone. So, um, but Natty, I do have a question for you. So usually I start off with a question for Rob. We kind of go back and forth. And this week when this episode uh, releases, it is the last week of Ramadan. um, And Friday or Saturday, uh, for me, it's Friday. And I believe for you, it's Friday as well. It will be um, the holiday, Mm -hmm. which is called Eid al-Fitr, so Eid. Um, And we talk a lot about driving inclusive workspaces. I'd love for you to be able to share like what you think would be great for managers um, or colleagues to be mindful of um, or meaningful for their Muslim employees who are celebrating Eid this week. Yes, um, I love it because I think that there are a lot of things that employers and managers can do to support fasting um, and Muslim uh, colleagues, coworkers. Um, one thing that I think uh, employers can sometimes be concerned about is, is fasting going to impact work? And um, it's an assumption that is not actually grounded in any right. evidence. Uh, and what I've heard um, in terms of the ways that I've heard that employers are being supportive, one that I love is um, flexibility. For instance, uh, allowing workers to change their hours. I even heard of one person working in the night and um, like till like 4.30 a.m. and then, you know, doing their fast. Now, obviously, there are some jobs where that's not possible, like if you work on site somewhere or if you're in a service capacity but there are a lot of jobs where that is possible and, uh, you know, it, it's a win-win for everyone. People get their yeah. work done and the, the people who are fasting get to um, practice their faith um, in the way that they want um, and be supported in their fasting. I love that. And, and you know, as Ramadan comes to a close, I would absolutely agree with you that, like, having time off. So um, just for folks who may not recognize, Eid um, is the last day of Ramadan, essentially. Um, It is the day where folks celebrate the 30 days of fasting. Um, Typically, most people will take the day off from work if they're able to. They'll go to the mosque in the morning. They basically feast all day. They go to their friends and family's houses and eat a lot of food, a lot of sweets. So being, um, if, if it is possible to, one, allocate that time off to employees. I think that's key. Also, um, I think just wishing someone a happy Eid, or you could say Eid Mubarak, which basically means essentially happy Eid to your employee that is um, celebrating this holiday, I think would also be great. And then I actually was reading, Nadia, um, some other ways that people, uh, that your colleagues could actually celebrate or honor this holiday with you is like, you could drop off food, Um, or goodies to your colleague's house. Or if you are willing to, um, as an organization or as a manager or team, you can make a donation um, or a contribution to a charity in honor of your colleague or Eid. 
um, as we know, donations and so kind great. of almsgiving is really important to Muslims. Um, yeah. yeah, I love that. So thank you for that. These are all things that can make a tremendous impact and really a super meaningful way to kind of celebrate and honor Eid. So Nadia, I let's talk about you. So I would love to reintroduce you to our listeners. So folks, um, Nadia Alam joined us in a prior episode, season three, episode five, where she talked about recruiting in biotech. Um, it was a super fun episode. She provided some really great insights on like what the landscape looks like from a representation lens, um, like what's currently happening. Um, to, you know, not only making it more diverse, but also like thinking about how to retain and include some of these people that have historically been excluded. Um, and what's really, really cool about Nadia's background is that she also has extensive expertise in education, doing equity assessments. And so, Nadia, I would love for you to share with our listeners the work that you did in education and equity. I'm so excited. Thank you for that introduction, by the way, but I'm really excited to share about this because um, it's something I just really care about and I think it's important for schools. So um, when I was a guest on this podcast, I talked, as you mentioned, about biotech and recruitment and retention and all that good stuff. And I also shared that I came to biotech from education where I spent, you know, just about 20 years in the policy and research world. And the last bit of that, I was in institutional research, which just means looking at analytics from within a school. Um, I was working at a high school at the time. And when I was working at the high school, I was trying to find a really good school climate survey or assessment that would look at inclusion and equity at the school I was working at. But in spite of all the research I did, hours of research trying to find a really good a survey or assessment, I couldn't find anything. Um, I couldn't find anything that wouldn't just paint broad strokes on the data um, and sort of wash out minority voices. And because I worked at the school and I knew the students, I knew that certain groups, um, minoritized groups, non-dominant groups, so we're talking about racial ethnic minorities, religious minorities, LGBTQ students, um, students with disabilities and students who are socioeconomically disadvantaged, we, we weren't getting enough information on how those students are experiencing school relative to um, dominant mm -hmm. groups. So we would look at students with disabilities in comparison to students who um, have ability privilege, who do not have disabilities. So um, that's the data that I wanted. And when I wasn't able to find it, um, I remember I just said, well, I'm just going to write it myself. I have a background in survey design and research, and I'm going to flex that muscle and uh, create this myself. So um, I went on a journey. I did extensive literature research and interviewed a lot of people and piloted a survey with students to get their feedback. And it ultimately led to um, what I call an equity assessment. Uh, I decided not to use the language of climate survey or school climate survey because a lot of those climate surveys were looking at, and they're really good ones out there, but they were looking at more like social emotional learning mm. or um, youth risk, risky youth behavior or just very general things. And they would provide data to the schools as an aggregate, whereas I wanted to look at very specific identity okay. groups. 
and um, compare and compare and so, like compare uh, the identity and compare groups. sure exactly so what resulted from that um after all the pre-work was what i call the institutional climate and inclusion assessment and i ended up working with um many high schools around the country and conducting this equity survey equity assessment um, as well as broader equity audits where you kind of do more of a deep dive into the school environment and you look at how all of these different groups um, are faring, not just academically. So we look at um, academics, but also we look at um, peer interaction, extracurriculars, harassment and bullying, what happens in the mm -hmm. locker rooms, what happens um, in the classroom and outside of it. Um, and just it's a really, really thorough um, analysis, um, look at an examination into not just what's happening in the school, but what was very important to me is to get the students' mm. perspectives to drive institutional okay. action. Because what I saw when I was working in an institutional research capacity is that so much institutional action was based on adult oh, observations or influence, I would and imagine adult too. experiences. Oh, okay. Yes. So, um, you know, teachers feel this way or alumni feel this way. And I felt it very important that student experiences drive the action. And um, so I really, really love doing this work. I can't do as much of it as I want to because I'm a busy yeah. person, but it's something that I really love to do. And I hope that more schools do it, whether they use my instrument or another. Um, ours is really comprehensive. We actually look at 20 to 24 unique identity oh, markers and disaggregate that data. So, um, and I always tell the school that I'm working with that we don't look at an isolated data point. We're not looking at the answer to one survey question. We look at patterns and the like patterns the themes. very, yeah. very odd, the themes. And they just become so obvious when you look yeah. at the data um, as a whole, that there are certain groups that experience school sometimes in a different way than the majority group. Um, That's fantastic. So. Nadia, thank you for sharing that. I think I love that you have this comprehensive tool available. And so I would just encourage folks who are in that education space, if you are looking to do some analysis of your students, understand kind of um, perspectives from, um, you know, identity uh, work, then definitely reach out to Nadia because um, she is, uh, has that expertise and that background. Um, okay, folks, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our All Deets episode. I'm excited. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. 
Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. All right, folks, welcome back to our All Deets episode. I'm joined by um, myself and Nadia Alam. Um, and Nadia, you are going to take us away with our first current DEI news update. What do you got for us? I am. This is um, a hot topic right now. It's um, Stanford Law School has been in the news because uh, a few weeks ago, an ultra conservative judge, Judge Kyle Duncan, who was appointed by Trump to the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court, he was invited by a student group called the Federalist Society, a sort of right leaning group, um, to give a talk. He was met with protesting students who were chanting and heckling him. Um, so the, before the talk, it was caught, all caught on video. It looks like he's in a classroom um, with a lot of students holding up signs. Um, and um, so, so, so a little bit about Judge Kyle Duncan. He is known for extreme right-wing views, ultra-conservative. He's um, homophobic, transphobic. He has proposed legislation um, that revokes the rights of gay parents to adopt children. He has um, opposed access to abortion and contraception, and he has opposed uh, a path to citizenship for children of migrants. And so, and so we don't agree I mean, with this. We me, don't agree with this pretty, politics. <laughs> I, I, I don't like the dude. Uh, to me, he's he's done some abhorrent things on a on a you know from the bench. Um, that said, what transpired at Stanford Law School is this: is that there was all this heckling and chanting. Um, and Judge Duncan was effectively not able to begin his talk. Um, he could not talk over, you know, all the students sort of yelling at him. And so what he did was he asked for um, administrators to step in and maybe like restore mm. order. And this is all on video. I watched the video. It's really interesting to see it unfold. And what happened was um, is an administrator did mm -hmm. step in. And so the administrator is a woman named... Tiaren Steinbach, I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, she's the dean, assist, associate dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the law school. And she goes up and she's a black woman. And in the beginning of the video, it kind of seems like Judge Duncan is questioning whether or not she's an administrator. Um, that's how it kind of came across to me. I'm watching the video and he's like, where's an administrator? Are you an administrator? Like almost kind of doubting her. Um, which led to, you know, students in the audience saying your racism is showing because she's a black woman. Mm -hmm. So the, they're sort of implying that he doesn't, you know, he's racist because he doesn't believe that she could be an administrator. And so what happens then is that Dean Steinbach, she, she says she kind of um, presents herself to the audience saying, can I say something? Is that okay? And she opens a pad folio, which gives the impression that she had some maybe pre-planned remarks. We don't know. Um, and 
she kind of went on for like nearly like six minutes um, with remarks, basically criticizing the judge. She did um, sort of affirm his right to free speech and, you know, say that they were going to let him talk. But she also said, and I quote, um, for many in this law school who work here, who study here, who live here, your advocacy, your opinions from the bench land as absolute disenfranchisement of their rights, end quote. And so what what ultimately ensued is um, Steinbeck was viewed by the law school, you know, other administrators as having um, been in violation of the school's mm. policy, have acted out of turn, and um, she was suspended from her job. And um, then what happened was the dean of the law school, Jenny Martinez, she wrote a 10-page mm. memo to the law school community, basically, I mean, effectively kind of criticizing what happened, um, affirming academic freedom and free speech, that this wasn't really right what happened and that even though we don't agree with what someone might say we still you know have to uphold um free speech and academic freedom yada yada um she did in her memo sort of affirm the school's commitment to dei she didn't mention any other administrators she didn't mention tiaran steinbach um and so since then there have also been counter protests to um reinstate the administrator um, that left Dean yeah, Steinbach. Sure. Um, and it's just it's been all over the news. And um, it's been super interesting because, you know, Tiaran Steinbach, she is a DEI leader. She has a really decorated history. She worked, you know, 17 years as a lawyer. She worked for the East Bay Community Law Center, which is, you know, provides like free legal services. She was the chief program officer at the ACLU of Northern California. She has held these like very like like big positions that have mostly been about advocacy um and um in terms of in terms of how i feel about all of this it's it's super upsetting because on one hand i think this judge judge duncan is vile he's loathsome he's a bigot he's an unquestionable bigot however what's unfortunate is that dean steinbach she she kind of, you know, when I watched the video I, and when I watched the reaction of people, um, I worry that she she kind of gave DEI leaders like myself, because I work in a, you know, as a DEI leader in, in a company, um, sort of a bad mm. image, kind of contributing to that image of a DEI leader as an unhinged yeah, justice warrior. Sure. And that was upsetting for me because um you know, my, the way I see a DEI leader's role in most, in what I've, you know, when I've worked with other organizations and in my own company is really about um, DEI as yes. strategy and how do, how do we, how do we increase inclusion and equity strategically? Right. And so ultimately, I think what she did was counterproductive because it gave Judge Duncan a huge platform now he's yeah, all over the news now people are more aware of his bigoted yeah, views sure. yeah though i yeah he wrote um you know a piece talking about how poorly he was treated and so it was really counterproductive um that said 
That said, as the as a DEI leader, I also kind of feel for Jaren Steinbach because I think, you know, as DEI leaders, our jobs yes. are really hard. She came from working in non-academic settings to being in academia. She's working at an elite institution. I'm sure she is under a microscope. It is Stanford Law School. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we are missing a backstory here because this whole debate about academic freedom, free speech, it's been going on a long time. And I don't think that the debate is ending anytime soon. And I imagine that maybe Taryn Steinbeck did not know what her role was in those situations. Yeah. I mean, she views herself as protecting and really creating a safe space for people who are affected or triggered by what Judge Duncan was saying. And that's how she viewed herself. And, you know, if you look at DEI job descriptions, they can be so vague and so yeah. like, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't sometimes when situations like this arise. And so I don't know. I'm wondering if you have any reactions yeah, to well, it. Tons of reactions because we've talked about academic freedom before and just you know, I all, I think what you said is like, right. I, I very much aligned to what you said and shared. And I also just, you know, the, the, I, I'm curious how the pro, I, how the protesting was in terms of like, are people considering it to be peaceful protests? It sounds like there was a lot of heckling. There was a lot of kind of noise, which like, you know, didn't, it didn't appear to become violent. Um, but at the same time, I think the dean who intervened, the DEI had, Part of me is questioning kind of like, was it the appropriate space to do that? I don't know. I, I you know, I, I'm going off of um, what you shared. I did read um, the op-ed piece that this judge wrote in the Wall Street Journal where he kind of talks. He called students idiots and bullies and hypocrites. Call them Pauly. You are an appalling yeah, idiot. Appalling idiot. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the language in it of itself oh, is like unnecessary. Um, <laughs> he's angry. It, it, the All around. Um, it's an interesting story. I, I thank you for bringing this up. I, um, I, I don't have enough um, kind of reaction just because I don't know enough. I, I think that I'll have to dig a little bit deeper. So interesting story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'll go on to the next story here. So Last week, according to local, um, the local affiliate of ABC News in Pennsylvania, a 16-year-old employee at Michael's Family Restaurant in Glenside, Pennsylvania, was ordered to remove her hijab, which is a headscarf, um, while working and serving customers. Apparently, she wore it on her first day of work, and then management told her that she should. Sorry, I'm laughing because it's like really. Um, management told her she couldn't wear it when she came back, um, and of course, this like blatant act of discrimination. Um, you know, this falls under like EEOC religious discrimination, where like the law is very clear; it forbids religious discrimination based on a person's dress. In this case, it was the headscarf, hijab. So the community's pissed. Many, um, many Muslims and non-Muslims in the community are really uh, upset, including the Council of American Islamic Relations, CARE, um, where they're calling this act like, you know, Islamophobic. And then to top it all off, this incident was done like in the holy month of Ramadan. Do you have any thoughts on this particular case? Ah, I'm 
I'm infuriated by it, although sadly not surprised. Um, I was happy to see that the NAACP also stepped in to defend this teenager. Um, you know, I'm, how do I, I'm over it, the hijab stuff, no. like the discrimination based on head. I mean, it is not causing anyone to not, um, you know, unless you're a hair model, it's not causing anyone to not be able to do their jobs. And it is blatant double standards. We do, we never hear this about nuns um, or, you know, other groups that, that wear um, head, head covers or other religious um, clothing. We just don't, we, it's, it's, there's statistically a higher number of covers and people who wear head coverings for religious purposes, like Muslim women who are, um, either have forms of discrimination against them in the workplace, which like, you know, follow through that is like lawsuits. So it's tracked. Uh, There's an immense number um, of those, of the, those acts of discrimination. It's, I think what also really upsets me about this story though, is how young, I mean, this is a 16 year year old girl and that, that this is her, you know, maybe her first job or, you know, she's, she's, one of her first jobs and this is now her experience and this is just you know what also worries me is are we heading in the direction that europe has yes been france where mm-hmm. the hijab is so um you know you you look at france and like just how islamophobic they've become around you know right Muslim the banning women of headscarves yeah. um you know the banning i mean and i feel so much pride as an american to say that we are yes. not that that is not who we yeah. are and um so I don't, yeah, I mean, it just, it's infuriating. And my opinion is that I hope they, I hope they sue the crap out of this yeah. restaurant. And I'll just add that there was no apology per se that I noticed. There was a statement that the restaurant restaurant did issue that acknowledged that, you know, this was like a heinous act of discrimination. They fired the manager who made that decision because it went against the organization's policy and they welcomed, uh, they stressed in their statement that they welcome Muslim American customers um, and, of course, that employee to the restaurant. Thanks for that. Um, so that's it for the deets. We will be right back with our rants and raves. All right, folks, it's that time. Welcome back. We are back with our rants and raves. Nadia, we did the coin toss and I got the rant. So I will go first with my rant. Um, It's a short rant, but it's about the state of Tennessee. Um, I've been there. Tennessee, you have a beautiful state, um, but you are losing um, it to your government, uh, which really which really operates on power and white supremacy. Uh, if you don't know what happened in Tennessee last week, folks, uh, with two black lawmakers being expelled by the GOP and then reinstated, it was such a roller coaster ride. I really encourage you to read up on it. People of Tennessee, please continue to show up and support the people who are fighting this fight. Um, that's my rant. I was really angry last week <laughs> about this. Yeah. Me too. 
Uh, all right, you have a rave. Do you want to share? Maybe you have a double rave. I don't know. I have a double rave. I do have a double rave. Um, my first rave is that um, I, I just learned that the Inclusive Collective podcast has been on for a year now. And I was only reintroduced to it um, like a few months ago. But I have been listening to all the back episodes. I have been learning so much and just so impressed um, and I know uh, that this is unsolicited, this. folks. I just want that <laughs> it to was, be known. It was, I swear, uh, no one paid me to say this. It's unsponsored, just a, a true, authentic um, rave. But I really enjoy this podcast and I really enjoy, even though I had the pleasure of co-hosting today, I really enjoy you and Rob and your banter and your take on um, really important topics. Uh -huh. And it's been very helpful for me actually in the work that I do. So that's one Thank rave number one. That. And rave number that. two, you're very welcome, but it's all true. Um, rave number two is a book that I recently read um, that I'm telling people about because I think it's really helpful for um, DEI leaders, DEI professionals, but also just anyone um, interested in knowing more about um diversity equity and inclusion and where they where their place is in it it's called a judgment-free guide to diversity and inclusion for straight white men i got my book on amazon uh, it's by felicity hessen and suki sandhu and i loved this book i mean i have highlights and underlines all over it and i'm giving it and even though it says that it's for it says for straight white men it's actually really for yeah. anyone i'm a you know brown woman reading it and i had um a lot uh, of takeaways. It's really thorough. So. Very cool. I'll have Read to add it. that it's to my, my summer reading list there. Okay. That's great. Yes. Well, Nadia, that's it for this episode. Uh, folks, um, I want to just thank Nadia for joining me this week as guest host. You did an awesome job. Thank you. Um, I, such an I honor. You Huge had honor. as much fun as I did. Always. I always oh, have I love here. that. Well, thank you so much. Um, folks, Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media. We would love to hear from you. So send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refilion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts today. If you want to get in touch with us for consulting, check out Nadia, um, myself at nasconsultants.com and Rob at tacanoconsulting.com. You want to get in touch with Nadia Alam, you can reach her at? Uh, you can reach me at Nadia at darkhorse-talent.com. And uh, folks, Rob is hosting a DEI metrics measurement and reporting masterclass on May 11th. Details are at climateforDEI.com. Thanks to our listeners. Thank you, Nadia. We did a great job, Nadia Squared. Thank you. Um, and folks, we will be back next week. Be well. Bye.